This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now, special offer for new users, Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. Bucks. do not forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. This is the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss, co-hosting this with Dalton Del Don. You know, I was, last Thursday, I was in jury duty. How did it go? I, it was horrible, man. It was, you know, I was dreading it for so long. And part of what I was dreading was that you had to park in Disney Hall, which is downtown. It was a downtown courthouse. And I just thought, man, it's going to be traffic and one-way streets. And I'm not going to be able to figure out where it, – it's not obvious, you know, any of this stuff. But I got really lucky. Just the parking was easy and immediate. So that part was okay. And then I get in. And, of course, you sit there for two hours hearing some explanation of what jury service is all about and how it works and what, ex- what counts as an excuse and all this stuff that they could easily – it's posted online, and they could easily just say, read this before you come in, which nobody would. But still, everybody sits there for like an hour and a half listening to this stuff. Then you just sit around and wait until you're called to be impaneled. And some people just sit there the whole day but never get called and go home, which is just – in 2016, is it really necessary to waste somebody's entire day – just in the event that they might be needed and have, make them sit there all day. Anyway, I do get called in, and the judge explains the whole thing all over again. What a jury does, what happens, this whole thing, telling personal anecdotes, amusing himself while we're just sitting there. Then, of course, it's noon. It's time for lunch. So we get an hour and a half, go to lunch, come back, and there. And, oh, and the judge says, you guys all got to be back on time by 1.30. Otherwise, we're all going to wait. We, never, we don't go in until everybody's back, so don't be late course we get back and they do the roll call and these two people are fucking late okay so we're just standing there in the hallway just delaying it even further i mean dude you have an hour and a half just be i mean what is wrong with people they just but of course that was gonna happen but i mean i mean dude just fucking uh, what is wrong with you you know like just how could you not know to be back on time how could you not so finally we get let in and i get called as one of the jurors and they do what's called voir dire they they ask us about have you 
can you be fair? Can you be whatever? And of course I say, you know, look, I worked in criminal court. I went through law school. There's way too many people in jail. The process isn't fair. And of course I get dismissed. The dude behind me, by the way, his brother murdered three people and he got dismissed too. It was a criminal case of some dude who uh, pulled a knife on somebody. So anyway, I get back and I'm ready to like get out and I'm told, no, 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 you could be called back again. You, you can't leave. If I get called back again, they're never going to finish. And, and they're like, yeah, then you'll have to come back tomorrow. Long story short, we get let out. Nobody calls us back in and uh, I'm free now. So, you know, I just haven't been in a situation since high school, really, where I'm stuck somewhere all day and you're not free to leave. It's not up to you to leave the place. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. What what if it was like a sensationalist, like really famous case? Would you want to deal with that or no? Not Hell a chance. No. It doesn't matter. Hell yeah, it doesn't no. matter. I have okay. no interest. All right. All right. Look, I, think- I, I honestly, the, the and I was being honest when I was saying that. I don't want to be in a situation where basically the juror, the jury is the finder of fact. So if the prosecution makes its case element by element, such that the facts add up, you have to find him guilty, even if. The guy's basically selling like a vial of crack and he's going to go to jail for six years. Even if you think the punishment is so disproportionate to the crime, that's not your job. Your job is just finder of fact. Right, right. You know, I don't want to be in that position where I'm basically sentencing some dude to some crazy sentence because we have a stupid war on drugs. There's some people who belong in jail. You know, if some guy murdered somebody, I'd be fine with putting him away. No problem. Just to hear you bitch about this, I almost wish you would have been drawn on a jury that lasted a week or something. They would, ne- they would never. They would never. I get dismissed by the prosecutor. Of course, juror number seven, thank you for your service. I mean, come right. on. I'm saying I'm admitting that I'm biased, but I'm telling the truth. And it's interesting because the uh, – and we'll get off of this in a second, but the defense and the, and the prosecution both ask questions about people. And one of them, the defense said, if you see someone pulled over by the cops, do you think, what did that person do wrong? I wonder. Of course, everyone thinks that, right? Even if you're like pro-defense like I am, I'm still like, I wonder what they did. Did they have a broken taillight? Were they speeding? Are they wasted? Whatever. You always just, of course, you think it. That's a stupid question to ask, right? They're trying to figure out what, you know, they're trying to sense people's biases. Here's the question I would ask if I were a defense attorney. If you're taking a multiple choice test, do you sometimes feel that none of the answers are correct or more than one of the answers are correct? Or are you, or, or are you sure that there's one correct answer? Because the person who really thinks about it too much and is like, well, these could kind of be correct, both of them, is the person you want on the defense. The person who's very clear on which one it is, that's the person you want if, as, if you're the prosecutor. I never thought of that, but you're right. Absolutely every single time I see someone pulled over, no matter what they look like or gender or anything, I always think, what did they do wrong? You're right. I never really thought of that. I don't think that. what did they do wrong. I think, what did they do? <laughs> what did they do? Right. I don't right. necessarily – I always think, yeah, they're probably getting screwed. It's a shitty car. It's a poor person. But I'm telling you, the multiple choice thing, when I take a multiple choice test, I'm always overthinking it. I'm always like, ah, it could be B or C. That's the person I want as a defense attorney. The person who always is like, no, it's obviously C and moves on, that's who I want as a prosecutor. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying in theory, but I could throw it back at you. Well, maybe the smart person knows the right answer right away. It's not about smart or stupid. It's about questioning, questioning the system, questioning possibilities. That's, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. That's all. So let's talk a little baseball. Um, I know people love jury talk. I, I, I'm interested in the guys who've moved the needle in the first couple of weeks. And one guy that annoys the shit out of me is, is uh, Tyler White, who... I have in a couple leagues, and I have in that staff keeper league that used to be in, and, and he's not even going to be 5'8 till next year because I got him on a reserve. And nobody wants to trade for this dude. Nobody takes it seriously. They're like, yeah, A.J. Reed will be up. Tyler White could DH. It's an AL. 
What do you think of that, dude? You, you realize he's got like an OPS of 1,200 or something so far. He crushed it at AAA last year and the year before he crushed it in the high minors too. I mean, is this for real? Is this going to be the next J.D. Martinez, Jose Bautista guy that's just, yeah, so he started a little late, but he's really good. I totally dismissed him when he when it was clear that he was going to open the year at first base. I mean, talk about good minor league numbers. A.J. Reed had the best in baseball last year. But I kept getting questions about White on, on Twitter, and that's made me look. And, yes, he's absolutely blowing up. But, I mean, he has struck out quite a bit. And it's always frustrating when the guy has five homers and five runs scored on the year. That's uh, that's that's not too cool when you have a 404 on base percentage. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you in the fact that they could make room for both if he continues to hit well, not necessarily even this well. But Houston was a, a team I thought would run away with this division, and they – they have gotten off to a, a sluggish start. So I, th- I think White definitely could be in the lineup for the re- rest of the season, but I don't know what to make of him. I mean, you said he hit well in the minors last year, but he's 25 already, not some top prospect. So, I mean, I would be personally trying to shop him. Right, but here's his minor league line from AAA last year. 362, 467, 559. Okay, is that good? And that's not bad. So let's say, um, you know, someone like... Manny Machado went down to the minors. Now, I know he's destroying it at, in the majors this year. But let's say Manny Machado had a year at AAA. Yeah, he could only do that well. That's he about what he would do. Maybe he'd slug it a little yeah. higher. But, I mean, that's yeah. 362, 467, 559. And then this year, in the majors for 57 plate appearances, he's got a 340 batting average, 404 on base, and 720 slugging. Yeah, I mean that's that's superstar. That's good. I mean that's probably the best OPS in, in, in which finishes the best OPS in baseball. It would finish yeah, close to Har- Harper. Harper would probably Sorry, beat it. Harper. Yeah, yeah Harper would. He's twenty five. He's not thirty two. And nobody's well, taking him seriously. It, you know, and the other thing is, he was a thirty third round pick. He's five eleven, two twenty four. So he's not like this great athlete type. But he's he, he's a thirty third round pick. Don't you think sometimes that's a self fulfilling prophecy that you get picked late? And you just get brought along slowly. They just don't believe you. They, they don't believe that you're that good. And he didn't even start his minor league career until he was 22. And in three years, he's hit very well in the minors and maybe found it. And now he's in the majors and he's crushing in the majors. Yeah, it's entirely possible. My question to you is it sounds like you're annoyed that uh, people are, yes. aren't, aren't biting. So, so you're trying to chop him for what reason? I, well, just because we're a win-now mode and we're in big trouble because our pitching, I, I kind of botched the auction. I should have just... Spent more on pitching, but there's so much inflation. I kept thinking everyone was too expensive, but our pitching is super sketchy. And we've got keepers like Goldschmidt cheap and Correa and Nolan Arenado and D Gordon, all super cheap. So we have this like crazy good offense, but our, um, our pitching is really sketchy. And I need to trade for, you know, expiring Johnny Cueto, expiring John Lester. There were guys like that. And I offered Tyler White plus and nobody wanted them. And this happened to me in that league a few years back when I had Cliff Lee as a reserve. Yeah, and I was in the league when you had Cliff Lee and no one wanted to wanted No one wanted to trade for him. So, I, I, you know, I'd offer a trade, Cliff Lee and some other guys for this, some mediocre guy, Andy Pettit and somebody else I was trying to trade for, Mike Cameron, I remember. And the guy's like, nah, no thanks. Two weeks later, come back and say, oh, that deal, if you still want to do it, I'll do it. Because Cliff Lee would throw like three shutouts between the time we <laughs> talked. And I would be like, no, of course not. <laughs> he threw three shutouts. The price goes up. How about for these guys? And again, it was so much less than what a real ace was worth. Two weeks later, okay, I'll do that deal that you offered two weeks ago. No, <laughs> he's thrown three more shutouts. And in the end, I just ended up keeping him for four years, which was fine. It's just that our team has him. We have too many corners. He's, he, he and Matt Duffy, one of them are on the bench. 
So it's we need to you know we need to move one, and we're desperate for pitching. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It's frustrating because you specifically need a, a different uh, position, but I don't really know what to say other than it's a 50 at bat sample, and he was not uh, like a top prospect. So it would not be the first person to come out of nowhere. And you said big minor league numbers last year, but I, I also get the other side of why someone would remain somewhat skeptical. I mean, he has 17 strikeouts in, in 50 at bats. He's still batting 344, 404, 720. I, I mean, then hold on to him. Then, despite all these, uh, the well, no, of- I know. But the problem is, then I'm, I'm like, okay, do you want Matt Duffy? But Matt Duffy doesn't really sell, even though he's a three dollar player, and you could keep him next year too for three bucks. Right. Nobody wants Matt Duffy, even though in an 18 team mixed league, Matt Duffy is super valuable. I hear you. So that's uh, that's frustrating. Just frustrating. Well, I cannot make the deal. What I really should do, but I can't. I should trade Goldschmidt, who's in the last year of his his deal, instead. That's what, actually what I probably should do. That's what ends up happening, right? It's like when you get when you when you have say Tom Brady and Blake Bortles, and you're trying to deal Bortles all year, and you realize you just have to deal Brady and ride Bortles out. <laughs> That's just the only way you can do right. it. Right. Yeah. I know. And I know you skeptical of Goldschmidt being a top five player. I was too, but he continues to look pretty good. <laughs> well, no, he's very good. I think him and Rizzo are really similar in that they're they're solid, like thirty. I mean, he's better than Rizzo because of batting average. You know, 30 homers. Maybe and it's just this giant series. It seems like he's roping a double every single time I've watched him bat. So I maybe I'm biased. And I don't own him anywhere, so I don't know his exact stats. But I'm, I know he's hit some homers. The sample doesn't matter right now because he's 28, and there's no reason to worry about him. If he hits 321 like he did last year, then he's crazy valuable and steals 21 bases. It's just ridiculous. But if you think he's going to steal more like 10 or 12 bases, um, and then you think he's going to hit more like 300, then he's this, you know, 30... 100, 300 guy at first base with a handful of steals. And that has value, but it's not top three overall value. Yeah, but he would, uh, yeah, but he would bring you a lot back in return if oh, you did shop him. I, I mean, he would bring me a ton. I actually have to probably shop him for like two pitchers. Now, the other thing I was talking about this on the XM show is Harper just hit his eighth home run today. And I, I was pretty 50 50 between Harper and Trout before the season, but it really seems like if we're to redraft again, that Harper would be the first hitter chosen. Without a second thought, yeah. Um, I, not only he hit that eighth homer, he had six strikeouts on the year. I think he struck out later in the game. But he also has three stolen bases. I mean, he, this guy is just – how old is he? 23 years old and what he did last year at that age. I mean, we're talking inner circle Hall of Fame and eight bombs already. He's living up to it. I mean, let's hope he doesn't run into a wall again like, you know, the past injuries. But – Oh, this is someone super special. I mean, this could be – I mean, we could be talking about the best hitter since Bonds. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's people who hit the rookie wall, and there's people who hit the sophomore wall, and he hit the sophomore wall. Right, right. No, I think it's um, – maybe I'm over overreacting, but I, I wouldn't okay. even, I wouldn't think twice with okay. him for Trout. He, he, here's, here's what I think about Harper. I think he could go 54, 145, 340 – with 15 steals this year. Like, I think that's in play for him. That's and a, I just don't think there's another hitter four. for whom anything remotely close like that is in play. I think that's his floor right now. <laughs> right, I was saying how Puig's floor was MVP. Uh, was right, exactly. You team. know what he's projected? I'm looking for if, if he played 162 games and did what he's done so far. It finished with 86 homers, 238 RBI, and 32 steals. Yeah, well... Well, Altuve, though, would be even crazier, I think. Yeah, Altuve's off to an insane start with the steals, yeah. Machado has actually even been better than Harper. Not fantasy, but, like, reality, I think he's been more valuable so far. And he's shortstop eligible in Yahoo leagues. 
Yeah, because because Machado's batting four oh seven. Yeah, it's with pretty five good. homers. He hasn't doesn't have any steals though. But bottom line, Harper is just out of control. Not that we're breaking any news here. No, I mean, he was, no, but I, I I think that the consensus was I, I saw Goldschmidt and uh, Trout go ahead of Harper quite often, and I actually took Kershaw. I took Trout ahead of him in one league, one NFBC league, um, which I now regret. I already had Harper in another one. And then I took Kershaw ahead of him in the main event. And I'm not regretting that because I still think the pitcher is, is the way to go. But, man, Harper may have one of those historic seasons where – and this is kind of why I took Kershaw was I thought he might strike out 300 with 23 wins and ERA of 2 or 180 and a whip of you know .85 and one of those things where you just almost can't win unless you have him. Sometimes yeah, a guy can have a season like that. The year that Larry Walker in Coors had 49 homers, 32 steals, batted 369. Um, and, you know, like 140 ribbies and runs, you, you could not win, really, if you didn't have him. You, couldn't, you certainly couldn't win in overall money in the NFBC without a player like that. Yeah, not in the, the big primetime event I'm in, but um, I am in a $500 satellite um, NFC, NFBC league, and I had the fourth pick, and I was just hoping that Kershaw would fall. And uh, I think he went third, but anyway, I settled on Harper at four. Right. <laughs> uh, what do you make of Archer and, uh, and David Price? Any level of worry with either of those guys? Um, well, we talked about this on the XM show today, so I'm repeating myself. But I gave a 3 out of 10 as far as being worried about Archer. He has 29 strikeouts in 19.2 innings. The swinging strike percentage is 11.5, which is elite. Uh, yes, the, you could look at it two ways, the BABIP and the crazy home run for fly ball ratio, which is 40% of the fly balls are leaving the fence. Um, that's obviously some bad luck, but, you know, maybe he's throwing too many meatballs and his, his location has been off because the walks are a bit up there, too. So he's, he's not only struggling with command, but also control. When he is getting over the plate, it might be right over. But it's four starts. He, his velocity was back up. 29 strikeouts in 19 innings. I think he'll be totally fine. And he's truly reached the point of owners actually possibly worrying. So we always like to say buy low candidates. But half that time, or at least half that time, it isn't really actionable. But I think with him, it might be. Yeah, the, the key is buy lowest. And I used to write an article every June or so. And I'd be like, buy the guys that the bottom fell out on. That, that people are starting to really question if they're worth anything. That's, that's who you can buy. You can't get Corey Kluber cheap. You're not going to get guys who have just sort of underperformed. They drafted that guy. They wanted that guy on their team for a reason. They're not going to easily change their mind. But if there's a guy for whom the bottom has dropped out so much that Anyone who's not an absolute zealot of their – there's a few people in the world who they, when they make a prediction or a, a stance before the season that their brain is so locked into that that no amount of evidence will sway them. And right. those people you can't trade with. But for the most, most rational people, they want to hold on if they've you know, targeted a player or they've touted a player or they like a player. But if enough evidence comes on the other side, they will get rid of them. They will make a move. So I think Archer is one of them. I don't know if Price is yet. Even though Price has been just as bad, pretty much, Price just seems like people trust him more. Yeah, it does. He was getting drafted uh, far above where I expected in the in the you know in spring training. Just in the AL East, obviously Archer has to deal with that as well. But but Price was getting taken as a top ten, top eight starter in a lot of leagues of mine. I didn't quite. I wasn't quite there. I was around fifteen or sixteen. Um, but having said that. 32 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in 21 innings. I mean, I, I don't want to totally just base it all on that, but 
that suggests that, you know, he should be but fine look, moving forward. We have batted ball data now, right? I mean, the BABIP thing has been proven to be kind of a lie, the whole yes. BABIP scientific thing. And I don't know if it was you who sent me this article. It was like five or six years ago now where the guy talks about how things that were considered scientifically set and proven yes, uh, that was me, yeah. eight years later are not replicable, and they're starting to have to throw it out. And so much of it, I think, is things like drug companies having for-profit science that the researchers are either outright committing fraud or they're so blinded by their need to have the thing succeed that they just see it in that through that lens, which I think is actually the more likely scenario. But a lot of these things that are supposedly proven and which like health recommendations are based on and all sorts of horrible stuff like the cholesterol thing and don't eat fat, eat sugar. It's that's, you know, that thing's been turned on its head in the last few years, but it's scary how these things take hold and, and it's very hard to reverse, you know, the message that comes out. The headline scientific thing is on page one and the fact that it's no longer true or doesn't hold up is people don't get the message until way later, if at all. But I think Babbitt was one of those and, and people also, I think, and I talked about this in the context of politics, but I think it also applies to fantasy baseball. They want to seem super savvy. They want to seem super with the latest sabermetrics. They want to distinguish themselves from the average rubes out there who are cluelessly playing. And so if they get a discovery like Babip, like, oh, wow, batted balls are luck, they cling to that. Like it's, you know, they, 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 will, they will hold on to that and they will act like that is some huge truth. And now that we have all this batted ball data and we're starting to realize that, you know, the velocity that the ball is hit is something that many pitchers have a big say in. And so if you have a pitcher that's got a great strikeout to walk ratio, which we used to think was the only thing that mattered, but he's getting absolutely clobbered every time someone's making contact. I think, you know, nowadays we know better that that's not fluky. Well, it's possible something has fundamentally changed with him. It looks like his velocity is actually way down. So that is something of a concern, although this is the month that the pitcher's velocity is usually the lowest, is the first one. But someone with this great of a sample, now he has gone to a tougher pitching environment as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm not even pointing like BABIP or XFIP and stuff. I'm just going to a simple, anyone with a 5.3 strikeout to walk ratio, 9.3. Six times out of ten is going to finish with really good numbers. Now there are maybe my guy Michael Pineda, Pineda. is one of those guys yeah. who just throws too many meatball sliders. So there are going to be exceptions you could point to. You know Phil Hughes, the other what was it a couple years ago? Yeah. Like the one of the craziest you'll ever see. But I'm just saying, for the most part, if you want to bet on someone with a terrific history, especially right. I mean, Price, Price has had a history of being an ace. It's not just like yes, P- Pineda, Pineda who a- came off an injury and had these, this crazy ratio, but. Who knows how good he is? Or yeah, Pineda was a top prospect with terrific peripherals last year, but his ERA still sucked. I was just banking on that to change. Right. What I'm banking on now to change is Price just going back to how he always was. And, in fact, if you want to look at his K per K percentage minus walk percentage, it's his career high right now. Yeah, I don't really buy into that K percentage minus walk percentage. That's To me, that's just – the stock screener method doesn't really work. Everybody knows strikeouts and walks. We have to look beyond that, right, because everybody's got that priced in. And the question is, it seems like price, no pun intended, was overpriced based on that. I'm not saying that he's not going to turn it around. I think he will. I think he'll be good. And Pineda, I didn't want any part of because I actually think it's a red flag when you have that ridiculous K to walk and your ERA is really bad. I think it's a red flag when it's extreme. And it was extreme. I know. Pineda's was one of the most extreme of all. He didn't walk anybody. It's, I want, you know, Marco Estrada now, who I think he's developed a new pitch and he's um, looks like he's a better pitcher now. He, uh, a few years ago, had a 143 to 29 K to walk 
143 to 29 in 138 innings. Uh, and he had 364 ERA in the National League. And everybody was falling over themselves to draft him in 2013. And he was worse. He had a 387 ERA. And the year after that, he had a 436 ERA. Um, and last year, he stopped striking out guys at, at nearly the rate. He only had 131 in 181 innings. And he had a, m- many more walks. He had 55 walks. But he had his best year. Yeah, no, he went to a much tougher environment to pitch in, saw his peripherals really decline, and posted the best ERA. Right. I mean, it's, that's and, bizarre. That's and, everyone, and, and, you know, back in the day, they'd say that guy just got so lucky last year, he's going to get clobbered this year. But the alternative explanation is there's an equilibrium. If you only throw strikes, then you're going to get some strikeouts. You're never going to walk anybody. You get a lot of people swinging at your pitches. It's like in poker, if, if you bluff a lot, you're going to get a lot of calls, right? If you, if you never bluff, you're not going to, no one's going to call you when you make a big bet. Right. So if they know, because they've scouted you, that all you do is throw strikes, they're just going to be swinging every time, right? They're not going to take a lot of pitches off you because they know it's coming. There's not going to drop. The bottom's not going to drop out of it. You're only a strike thrower. So I think what happens is there's swing and misses. You get called strikes when they don't swing. On the rare occasion, they don't swing. And you get a really good strikeout-to-walk ratio. But you also get clobbered when they do put it in play because you're over – the equilibrium is off. You are throwing too many strikes. Now, if you're Dallas Keuchel and you can get just the corners and paint it just so, you have such pinpoint control that the reason you don't walk people is that you're throwing strikes that are pitcher strikes. Okay, that's very rare. Okay, Cliff Lee, Ray Halliday, Dallas Keuchel, there's a few people who pitch that way. But if you don't have that kind of pinpoint control and you're just – putting it down the middle every time you're going to get good ratios, but you're going to get pounded too. And I think that you need to have a little, you know, Tom Glavin in you where you, you don't give it, you don't give in, you know, it's three, one and you throw a pitch a little off the plate. And if the guy takes it, he walks. Okay. I'm going to get, try to get ahead of the next hitter and not have to walk him, but your, your peripherals will suffer, but you give up fewer runs. Yeah. All that makes sense. I have a, a question specifically about these stats. Um, maybe you dislike them all, but you said you really don't like the K minus walk percentage, isn't that better than just raw K, um, you know, K divided by walk walks? Because, uh, you know, K percentage means the amount of strikeouts per batter face. Right. You could finish with a, you could have a, give up four runs in an inning, but strike out the side and your K per nine is nine. You know what I'm saying? But it's 27. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, 27. Right. right, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, K percentage is a better stat than strikeout rate and walk percentage for the same reason. Although, I'm not really sure how that works, actually, whether walk percentage matters versus walks. But K percentage, obviously, um, is a better stat than, than straight up K per nine. But I, I'm not saying that's not a better stat, but what, anyone who looks at, like, a stock screener and says, okay, here's the guys who are the best at this stat. I know who to draft now. To me, that's foolish, okay, because you're not looking at how they got there. You're gonna, Michael Pineda may look great. You're not, you're not looking at, is this guy – an extreme strike thrower where he's getting hit really hard and does, would it be better for him to not throw that many strikes to throw 20% more balls and to walk a few more people and to induce more weak contact. Cause the hitters not as sure whether the ball is going to be in the zone or not. And he's going to swing sometimes when it's out of the zone and, and hit a weak ground out, right? He's going to swing at some pitches that aren't as good um, and, and make contact at a softer rate. So, Looking at a stock screener like that, you're getting information that's obviously important, but we all know the information, right? We all know who the big cadence – I just think, like, not only do we have strikeouts and walks in front of us, we also have ERA, we also have BABIP, we also have home runs per nine, home runs allowed. We have all these stats in front of us. 
So every time I look at a pitcher, I'm looking at him individually. I'm saying, yeah, he's got a great K-to-walk ratio, but he's getting pounded, obviously. Look at the BABIP is 350, and he's giving up 30 home runs. I'm not going to just put him on a chart because he's got good K, K percentage and walk percentage. Right, here's another one I'll throw at you. Uh, David Price has actually been one of the best pitchers that doesn't have an elite swinging strike percentage his entire career, and people have actually wondered how he's how he's done it. <clears throat> so it's nine point five for his career, which is still good, but it's not like ace material. Um, he is at fifteen point three this season, by far the most. So that is another wrinkle in this because maybe he's not always around the plate. I mean, that's obviously that's not shocking with his high strikeout rate, but man, that's weird. That's why I just say. Four starts, what are you supposed to make of this data? Do you look at the lack of uh, velocity and worry moving forward? I, what, I mean, what, so what is your conclusion about David Price? By the way, I don't own him anywhere. And Neither I do I. Five, two. Yeah, I haven't, looked at him that, I haven't looked at him that closely, but I'll just say this. Okay, velocity way down, although April probably is responsible for some of that. And he's in a park that's not good for lefties. You got the right-handers can just pound it off the, the green monster, whereas a righty in Fenway, it's a lot harder to hit home runs to uh, right field. So you have a little bit of an advantage as a right-handed pitcher and a disadvantage as a left-handed pitcher in Fenway. So there's all that. But if his velocity, if his stuff isn't quite as good as what it was, you know, three, four years ago, and he's throwing too many strikes, he's going to get hit hard. And that's just how it's going to be. And one of the adjustments these guys, maybe they make when their stuff gets a little bit slower is, okay, I can't just go after these guys. I got to mix it up more. Uh, I don't know. He might be fine. Uh, again, he's 27 to four. That's very good. That's excellent. I mean, it's, it's Cy Young Award type numbers with 18 innings pitched. I'm less worried about Price just because he just has a longer track record of being an ace, and he's walked fewer than Archer. The command doesn't seem to be as off as Archer as Archer's is, and Archer is younger and throws so many sliders that I think maybe there's a, an injury risk there. But again, I you know I, I don't just look at strikeout to walk ratio. I, I think that that when a guy's getting pounded. Uh, it's cause for concern. He actually hadn't he, coming into the game. He'd only given up one homer, and he'd only and his BABIP three eighty seven. That's high. I, I you know when a guy gets pounded again three eighty seven for the year would be such an anomaly. No pitcher gets three eighty seven for the year. It'd be like you or me going out there would have a four hundred BABIP allowed. But you know if a guy's at three forty three fifty, it's rarely uh, an elite pitcher. You know you'll never see uh, Clayton Kershaw have a three forty BABIP against. It just won't happen. They're still waiting for Mariano Rivera's luck to turn around, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, that home run for fly ball and Babip luck every year. Uh, you know that stat, right? Uh, uh, if you sort like the last 20 years, minimum 1,000 innings pitched, Rivera is first out of like the, I don't know how many guys there are, 100 guys or whatever. He's first both in Babip and home run for fly ball. And I bet his BABIP is like five or ten points higher or lower than the next, too. It's significant. I can't remember. you got to go to fan graphs to do it. But it is just – and obviously there's an advantage being a reliever, but there's a couple other relievers on that list, too. Sure. But he's – it's like how, how could it be luck if he were first in both out of like 100 guys at least for each category? Yeah, even, even as a reliever, that's a pretty large sample. I mean, he played, he played quite a bit. Well, I'm going to ask you about another guy on the flip side real quick. Um, Adam Wainwright. Now, he's never been the strikeout guy these other guys are, but, I mean, his ERA the last three years, 2.94, 2.38, 1.61, albeit in a small sample last year. But he was coming back from an Achilles, not an arm injury. And this guy, as I'm acutely aware of, owning him in Yahoo Friends and Family, and I think someplace else, has seven strikeouts and nine walks through 16 innings. Now, that is extreme on the other spectrum. Right, and we're talking about the size of the sample is one thing, but the magnitude is the other. If he had... 
say in 16 innings, if he had 11 strikeouts and four walks and an ERA of seven because he gave up three home runs and a lot of hits, you'd probably say, yeah, I'll just stick with it. But when the command is that bad and he's a command pitcher, I mean, in 2013, he walked 35 guys in 241 innings. So his command being off is weird also because he came back from the injury last year and pitched well in the playoffs. So, and, and one of our callers on XM, we were talking about this. He said, you know, there was no mention of him having any discomfort in spring training. It's incredibly unlikely that the Achilles has anything to do with this. Yeah. I mean, I, again, he was yeah not only good in the playoffs, but last year he had 28 innings, 20 to four strikeout a walk ratio, 1.61 whip. I mean, I mean, sorry, ERA. Yeah. This is very bizarre to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with him. There's really no indication that he's hurt. His velocity is down 0.6. Uh, he's actually the same as last year. And last year it was down 0.6 from the year before. But if his velocity is down 0.6 from two years ago when he was an ace in April, that's not even something to be worried about. That's not even a significant drop. He's probably going to be back to his normal velocity in a couple of weeks. And he's got such a good curveball. And one of these three outings he got shelled was against the Braves. He had a really bad offense. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not giving up by any means, but it's just a little alarming. Just I don't care about the ERA through three starts, but, man, that's an ugly uh, walk to strike. Is he out. a buy low? He's a buy lowest, maybe. Are you, would you trade – Steven Matz for him? Would I trade Steve? Oh, the health in O. Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I would. The health, yes. I would trade. I would prefer. I would pick Wainwright over Matz moving forward, but that's that's close. Would you? And you'd certainly rather have Wainwright than like a Matt Moore or somebody who's just emerged. Yes, yes. Okay. So you're very patient with these guys. I, with hitters, I'm incredibly patient. With pitching, I'm not that patient. Even yeah. though, actually, the last few years, pitchers have held up great. I mean, there's been very little attrition among the aces. But I just think pitching, when it diverges from what you expected by a wide margin, the explanation is often there's something wrong with this guy. Uh, by the way, a couple podcasts ago, especially because you labeled it that way, um, I got a bunch of a hard time for saying Syndergaard deserved to be a first-round pick. Right. Now, maybe his arm, a human being, cannot hold up throwing. You see the other day he threw a 101-mile-an-hour fastball, and it was just smooth, at, like, late in the game, and his slider and his, his, his control. I mean, this guy's stuff right now is second to none. I mean, it, it is just – he is filthy. He, I, I was wrong. He should be a, a top-12 pick. He should be a top-5 pick if we were having a draft right now. All right. That's, you got, we got our headline now for the podcast. <laughs> It's fine. Trout or Syndergaard? If you have Syndergaard in friends and family, and I offer you Trout straight up, do you do it? Oh, man. Uh, I'm such a pitcher guy. I really treat him like 1A one, one to Kershaw right now. Um, Trout for Syndergaard. Uh, and say we're just starting a team. Let's say we're starting a team because it's too, it's too easy to cop out and say, well, if I needed the hitting more, I'd take Trout, you know, obviously. But. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably go Harper, Kershaw, Trout, Syndergaard. You coward. Be a man. <laughs> I'm ranking him as the number four overall player. I, I know. I, I think I would take Machado over Trout right now. I know Machado is obviously going to cool down, but he's 23 years old. I don't think, I don't think we necessarily saw the highest level he can play at last year. He had a 20 stolen bases sneakily last year too. It wasn't just like the power and the yeah, batting he had average. 35 home runs last year. He didn't yeah. hit 28 home runs. He hit 35. Yeah. So he hit nearly as many homers as Trout. He's in a way better ballpark for it. He's got a better lineup around him. I, I don't know. I, I just think he, I, I would I project him for more steals than I would for Trout. Batting average is close. Maybe Machado might get an edge. I don't know. It's pretty close. That's my clear top five, though, I'd say. And Machado would be your fifth? Yeah. Okay. 
and then Goldschmidt would be six or whatever, one of those sure. guys. Sure. What yeah. about our guy, Miguel Cabrera? Man, I own him everywhere. I have him too everywhere. I mean, it's just – I wouldn't worry about him. Okay. That, that, that's like a case of a hitter. I haven't been. I haven't been worrying, I'm saying. So I hope like you're right. I have not, right? Because have not, man. it's a case of a hitter who has no report of any kind of injury in the lineup every day. That, that see, some, something like that would just never worry me. And this guy hit 330 on one leg the past couple of years, yeah. too, when he was hurt. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm hoping that it's just a small, small deal, but it so far hasn't been, hasn't been great where I, where I took him in some drafts. Well, I took him over Goldschmidt in my home league. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't that, matter because I've got Sale and Syndergaard and Trevor Story and Eugenio Suarez. So I'm I don't I haven't needed him yet, but I love Suarez. By the way, you, you love him this year. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he could hit. He was a young guy who showed that he could hit, and now he's getting full time gig. Qualifies at two positions. You know, I think he'll be like a 2012 guy or something like that. What do you think? What do you give him the final projection? Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I think two articles ago I said I'd prefer him over Tulowitzki straight up from here on out, and I got a more, another hard time for that, but we'll Where see. are the apologies? You know, it's so funny. When I, I said on the radio, I said, I think Story, this is before the season, I said I would take him pretty much after the, the first four guys were off the board. I guess I would start really considering him, and I didn't put him over Tulo, but I said, yeah, I'd take him over Desmond, and everyone was like, Desmond, you take him over Desmond, and now if you try to trade Desmond for Story, people would laugh in your face. Yeah, and I'm not saying my Suarez proclamation is right 10 days later, but Tulo definitely is a guy. Talk about a guy I am worried about. He just looks like he's breaking down to me. Well, too, it, it, just, it was crazy that people were just acting as though it was all going to be fine, that you could take that guy in the fifth round. I mean, you know he's injury prone. You already priced that in. And if he's in cores, it was a, it was a good pick. But taking a guy out of cores, we talked about this when Jeff Zimmerman quantified it. You lose like 50 points in batting average. The Blue Jays did score like 100 more runs in the next best team, and that's a pretty good but that's, part. That's too, but... just because they have really good players. Right. No, I understand. Hey, no, I'm not going to defend. It's not, it's not going to help and, him except for runs and ribbies. It's not going to help him that much. And, by the way, he's uh, still playing shortstop. It's not like the guy's like, oh, maybe he'll be less injury prone moving to first or DH. You right. know, He's still playing a very difficult position demanding defensively and physically, and he's only another year older too. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm down on him. Yeah, he's – I mean, I'm not saying he won't go to hit 20 homers and bat 260 or 270. But to me, he's a healthy Johnny Peralta right now at best. That sounds about right. Yeah. And and Story, I mean, we don't have to go back into this, but, <laughs> you know, it's going to be – he's going to have 25-15. 25-15-260 is kind of his easy – that's like his easy – I won't say it's his floor, but that's his easy, like, year-end stats. 25-15-260 would be – disappointing at this point, but that's what you could kind of count on, I would say. Did you see that Coors Field's new fence in right field took away two homers the other day? Was it two from him or two from... Two from him. Two. Oh. He had two triples. And they, wow. I, I linked to it in my article. You can click the MLB video. It's, it's yes, you should have two Just more missed, homers. basically hit the top of the wall. And it's because they added a, like an extra 10 feet this year. Right. Yeah. So you would have had two more. That's a lot. In I mean, I would think it would take one or two away from a guy like that on the season, but if it's Same two game. in a game, yep. that's not good. No, but he's been right, got to go to the road too. Yeah, I know that. Well, that first, I think that first series was Arizona and Chase Field and stuff. But um, you know, I got to go to my daughter's Cincinnati too. Those are all he's he's played in a lot of good hitters park so far. Oh yeah, I, I'm worried about the strikeouts, but he's he's got massive power. I got to go to my daughter's. Uh, I, have you heard of a uh, an open house? Have you heard of going to? When do kids start preschool? Man, this is all new to me. But she just turned three, and we're already going to an open house for for preschool starting in August. Is that normal? 
Uh, we sent Sasha to preschool two and a half, so. Oh, of course. oh you got to one-up me there. Okay, she was yeah. already reading? She was already full of, she was reading novels? <laughs> she doesn't read. She's, you know, she plays. They just play there. You know, they don't yeah. do, do a goddamn thing there. They don't really do anything. This is supposedly more like a school than, than yeah. an actual I, I love, man, we get these parent-teacher conferences. I love it. I love hearing about what she's doing, how she's fitting in, how, what her issues are. It's, it's great. I, I love, like, the parent-teacher conferences. So I could open the floor for you to talk some to politics. Yeah, I, I don't want to just time pontificate, but okay. Obviously, New York he lost, uh, but a couple things. One is there's some voter irregularities. He'll probably get some extra votes and narrow it a little bit. But of course, the media cycle will have moved on. He needs to drop out, get out. It's over. Whatever. Think about it. She won her home state by 15 points. Uh, no, she's the overwhelming favorite, and really, she, I don't think she even would have won had New York not had that rule that you can't register. After October, because the movement that everyone knows about Sanders didn't happen until this winter. So all these people that have been brought into the process and excited about it literally could not vote. So I think the stat was he won 43 percent of the votes in New York among Democrats. And that was one point six million people or something. And three point two million couldn't vote. And he usually wins 60 to 70 percent of those three point two million that couldn't vote. So she didn't even really win that state. She won basically by the very narrow rules of the Democratic primary in that state. So I, the calls for him to drop out are ridiculous. Um, neither candidate is going, to get, is going to get to the magic number. Bernie would need 80% of the votes to get to the magic number of the remaining. Hillary needs like 67, 68. She's not going to get there. And so you're going to go to a convention where the superdelegates are going to tip the balance. And, and I read this thing, and it's, it's so true. Hillary to just say, he should stay in. He's bringing up important issues. It's good for the process. I think he should have a voice. We respect their views. Of course, he shouldn't drop out. A lot of people haven't voted yet. This is a democracy. That's what she should be saying. If she said that, I bet her, his supporters, should she win, and I'm not even conceding that yet, would maybe say, you know what? In the end, she did get the most votes. We took it to the end, but we'll vote for her. But she's not. People need to unite and get behind her. Fuck that. I'm not, I'm not on your team. Back the corrupt Democratic Party establishment. I don't care about any of that. I think we should criticize our leaders even when they're elected. I think we should criticize all our leaders. I think people should criticize Sanders when he does something. You know, someone was saying he was bad on, I can't even remember, but it was something. And he was. He said something stupid or he was bad on some issue. And yeah, fine. Criticize him too. Anyone in power needs to be criticized. So she's just going about it the total wrong way. And she's in for a rude awakening because people who you know want honesty and truth and justice are not going to back her uh, if she's acting like he's the problem. She everyone knows she's the problem, but she could really make big headway if she were to reverse course and say he needs to stay in the in the race. Two things: one, um, how funny is it that uh, crazy is it that uh, Ben Carson beat Ted Cruz in one district? You see that? I didn't see that, but I love it. Ted Cruz. Thank God. Just good riddance. Your your guy your guy that you know is an old college roommate uh, is blowing up in the media lately too. He's going nuts on Twitter. I love I love it. I mean, Ted Cruz is truly uh, he's a pox on humanity. He's really one of the most transparently awful that we've ever had. So so what are the odds you, you give now on the on the um, with Bernie? Because I, I like all that stuff you're saying and how unfair it was and all that, but I don't think my bookie's going to care. You, oh, your bookie won't care. Yeah. yeah. No, right. That's right. <laughs> hey, but it was unfair. Hey, <laughs> right, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I, I don't know because it's really a matter of the mainstream media is going to try to pressure and the Clinton people who own the media and are 
embedded in it are going to try to pressure to end it. The last thing they want is this thing to, to admit like, hey, nobody got there. And now it's going to be like a, a contested situation when the polls may say that most Democrats prefer Bernie, right? Especially if independents are allowed to vote and he's more favorable. So it, it's, it's really a, a test of can we mislead the public a little more to run out the clock? And how resilient will the Bernie people be? But I think like Bernie supporters, they believe like they, they don't believe in him. They just believe in honesty and truth. And so they're not going to give in. They're not going to say, yeah, come on, let it go. Let's they, I think that Clinton and the establishment Democrats think that people play for a team and they actually don't play for that team and they're in for a rude awakening. So, you know, I, I think if you're a, a betting person, you got to make her at least a six to one favorite or something like that. But okay. right. I, I think, um, I, I you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily bet it, but I, I, I just think she's not going to be president and I don't think it's going to be Trump either. So there's only one person left who I can really left standing after that. All right. Interesting. I think it's more of a Hail Mary than that, but, but you, you still think there's a chance. I hope you're right. I, I just think that, you know, it, it's really going to be, it's going to come down to whether the people, and when you include independents and Democrats and Republicans, you include people in the country. If you were to have sort of a round robin election where we had an election of each of the viable people, heads up, he would win the round robin. Like that's just, he would just win it. He would. And more people want, want the a non-establishment person and he's perfect for it. And and, and I just think that it's going to come down to whether, you know, they say, well, what do you mean the will of people? She has 2 million more votes or whatever, but it was all, it was all banked ahead of time. You know, in same day voting in Arizona, she lost, you know, it was all when they didn't know who he was. So I, I just think that it's going to come under the will of the people who just know the people who woke up, who so many people have voted before they knew what was going on. So many people have been propagandized and misled, but the people doing research, which are the people with the internet, the millennials, I, I think as people start to find out, um, the will of the people is that he's going to be it. And it's, it's going to be a battle between keeping the information low and the misinformation high versus people waking up and, and electing him. And, and I don't know the answer to who's going to win. In, in, historically, the, uh, the people, the elites have won that battle, but there's never been social media and the internet and, you know, this kind of ability to spread information without the elites green lighting it before. So it's, I think it's going to be more interesting than people think. All right. Good stuff. Hope you're right. right. I'll let you go to your daughter's thing, man. Thanks for doing it. Hey, sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Good job again winning the NBA. That was big time. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm sorry. Anyway, one last thing before I let you go. You saw the offer I made to Marcus, right? Uh, Yes, I did. Yes. Talked early for like eight really good baseball players. Yeah. I'm curious how he's going to respond. Yeah, he should do it. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Later. All right, this podcast is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. bucks. do not forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how.